So we'll go ahead and read the whole, uh, the whole of the passage, and then, then we'll jump in uh, and talk about the text. So starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, it says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son, was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, What these, uh, what asked what these things meant. And he said to them, said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in to the celebration. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when his son when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the you you killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found 
Jesus uh, obviously shares a, a few parables here that are very important for us to understand. And um, I really want to just, just take two concepts uh, that Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees um, and, and work out those as we go through the, t- the three parables. And, and those two concepts are this, that God is, um, that, that we ought to be going after the lost as God does and we also ought to be welcoming in the lost as God does. So there's two points for our sermon. We need to be going to the lost as God does and welcoming the lost as God does. So first we're going to look at the two parables of uh, first the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. These two parables uh, communicate to us how far God, will, God is willing to go uh, to retrieve the lost things. In the first parable, just uh, again to remind you, um, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees who are watching these sinners and tax collectors come in and uh, fellowship with Jesus. And so Jesus, in response to their grumbling about these people fellowshipping with the Lord, uh, gives this, this, these three parables, and starting with this one about the sheep, we see that uh, he tells the story of a man who has 99 sheep, or has 100 sheep, which is just really a, a modest amount of sheep for a shepherd, um, and he is, he's lost one of them. And he decides that uh, even though it's just one sheep that he's lost, that he's going to go after that sheep and find it. This shows us uh, a very important principle, a principle about how God feels about the lost. You see, um, you know, when a shepherd was done for the day, he would... Uh, he would take the sheep and count them and make sure he had every one. And in this particular parable, uh, the, the shepherd has counted his sheep and he has 99, so he's missing one. But what Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable is, is simply this, that if even 1% of his sheep are lost, he's going to go and find them with everything he has, despite any of the risks that might be uh, before him. So one is worth the risk to God. And the same should be true to us as we look at our world. The fact is, in, in this county, there's more than 1% that are without the Lord, that don't know, them, know Him as, as their Savior. And so there is work to be done. There is much work to be done. And we have to count the risk. We have to understand the risk that is before us and be willing to take the risk uh, just as God just as God did. You see, uh, the shepherd, you know, it's at the end of the day when he's counting these sheep. And likely it's, it's getting to the evening. And so for him to go out on his own in the night to find this one sheep is, is really venturing into potential danger. He could, you know, get, he could fall in a hole in the dark. He could be, uh, be caught by a wild animal. There, there are a number of risks that are they're there to him going out to find this one sheep. But he's willing to take on that risk, and we also have to be willing, if we're going to go after the lost as God has gone after the lost, uh, as, as he's gone after us, we also are going to have to uh, assess the risks that are before us. So there are a couple that I, that I thought of as I was preparing, and I'm sure there, there may be even more, but um, the first risk for us is uh, that that in going out to, to draw more into the, to the Lord's church, uh, we risk changing the status quo. We risk uh, 
we risk the comfort that we have in the way things are. The fact is that we naturally uh, default to not wanting to see change. We don't, we don't like to see change. We like things to just operate in a cycle and be okay and, and, and for things to not change. But that's, that's different with God. He wants us to always be pushing the status quo, to always be uh, pushing out and going out and expanding his kingdom because there is much work to do. If there is even 1% that are gone from him, he desires that 1%, and that's, that's the same that it should be for us. So, so there's still work to do. We, can't, uh, we, we must risk the, the comfort that we feel with the status quo. We have to set that aside and go forward out of it. The second thing that we risk is, uh, and I think it's, it's maybe the bigger one, uh, but it's, we risk rejection when we go out to those who don't know the Lord and we're trying to tell them of the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ. We risk rejection whether it be for friends or whether it be from family or coworkers, whatever the case may be, uh, whether it be neighbors, the, the fact is when we're presenting the truth of Christ, the fact that, that Jesus has come and he is the only way to approach the Father, we risk rejection. And we as people don't like rejection. It doesn't feel very good when someone, someone doesn't agree with you and, and rejects you or dislikes you because of your stances. And, and the fact is when we stand for uh, the, the truth of Christ, we will face rejection. And so we have to take these risks that God himself has taken with us. Christ came and faced rejection head on in this world. He continued over and over to present difficult truths to those that were approaching him. And he faced rejection time after time after time. And that took him to the cross. In the same way we have to uh, see that there is risk in, in going out uh, to those that don't know the Lord and sharing the truth with them. There is rejection that we have to face. There is uh, comfort that we have to get over. We have to move past the status quo in our lives to see change happen for the glory of God and for the advance of His kingdom. So the first thing we see in going after the loss is simply that despite the risk, God comes for us. He desires us. Even if there's just 1% lost, he will come after us. The second parable that, that Christ tells is uh, the one of the, the lost coin. And in this one we see that even one is worth the cost to God. In, uh, in verses eight, verse 8 is where we see this parable taken up and it says simply this, What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, a, a coin that's being talked about here is, uh, is basically one drachma, which is uh, one day's wage. So, you know, she had 10 coins, she had 10 days wages, and she lost just, just one of them. Um, and what's being communicated to us again here is that even though she had nine, nine of them left, this one was so important, and it's the same, the same is true with God. That one is worth the cost to God. You see, it cost her something to try and find that one drachma. It cost her resources, it cost her energy, and it cost her time. And the same is true with us if we 
if we take up this challenge to reach the lost, to go after the lost as, as God has gone after us. We see in, chapter, in, in verse 8 that uh, she lost the coin, and the first thing she does is she lights a lamp. Now, um, I don't know much about the, the cost of oil, but the fact is if she's willing to just find this, this one drachma to search for it diligently, I'm, I'm sure that using oil at this time is not something uh, that she's, uh, it's going to cost her something. Oil is, isn't cheap, and so she's going to have to burn oil in order to provide light so that she can go on this search. And in the same way, uh, it's going to cost us uh, resources and, and abilities and things that God has given us uh, to go after the loss that God has called us to reach. And second, we see from her that it, it takes her energy. She, uh, she lights this lamp, and then she sweeps the house. She goes through the whole house and sweeps the whole thing out. It takes her energy to go after this lost coin. And in the same way for us, uh, it's going to cost us energy. We have to put effort to uh, being intentional about going, going after people that don't know this truth of the gospel. And so we're going to have to put forth energy. And finally, it takes time. She spent her day diligently searching for this, uh, for this coin. And in the same way, we sacrifice uh, time that we could spend on ourselves or doing things that, that we want to do or that are maybe fruitful for our financial situation or whatever it is. Um, but we have to count the cost that it's going to take time out of our schedule. It's going to take energy from our bodies. It's going to take resources that God has given us in order to reach out and to go out after the loss that God has in this place. So despite the cost, God comes for us, and we also ought to go for those uh, that are lost. Jesus clearly shares here that God is after the sinner's heart. And that's what he's trying to communicate to the Pharisees. They don't understand why he's fellowshipping with, uh, with these sinners and tax collectors. And he's saying to them clearly, listen, these people that you think aren't righteous, they're important to me, and I'm going after them with all that I have, despite the risks that are before me, despite the cost, that it's the, thing that, the things that it's going to cost me. And in the same way, we have to do so uh, in our lives. He continues to chase after the sinner's heart today, and he does through, through his body, the church, through us, through individuals. So we as people and, and corporately as a community must assess the risks that are before us and, and uh, set them aside. We must assess the cost that is before us, and we must pay it to go after those who are lost. So the first thing we see in Christ's response is simply that uh, God is about going after the lost, even if it's one, and he rejoices over the one that is saved. The second thing that we see from Jesus' response to the Pharisees is that is that God is a God who welcomes in the lost, each and every one, as we even saw in the first couple. God is one that welcomes in the lost when they come home. And this we see in the, uh, in the parable of the prodigal son. There's so much here that we, we could talk about in terms of, uh, of what's going on with the, the younger son and the older son. Uh, and we'll, we'll try, try to do a little bit of it here. Um, but... 
one thing that's amazing that, that as, as this, this story starts out of the prodigal son, Jesus turns to uh, this, uh, this younger, the younger son of, of, of the man um, and says that the, the young son comes to the father and, and says to the father something uh, tremendously insulting to him. He says, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. This isn't just, hey, give me 20 bucks so I can go buy some food. This is, give me my inheritance that I'm supposed to get when you die. Give it to me now. He is counting his father as dead. He is rejecting his father. And, and this would be a, a tremendous insult to him. But his father graciously divides the, the property and, and, and gives this young son uh, the inheritance that, that he he would receive when, uh, when he when he would die. And with these these funds, this inheritance that he received from his dad, he goes out and and recklessly lives. It says in verse thirteen, not many days later after receiving this inheritance, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. God allowed him, uh, th- this father allowed his son to just uh, take this inheritance and, and do with it as he pleased. It's interesting that God allows, you know, this is a symbol, this is a, a picture of God's relationship to us, and, and sometimes God allows the uh, the rebel heart to go out for its own good. The fact is, the lesson that the younger son has to learn is that he is uh, he's worth nothing outside of his father. His only hope is is his father, is his God. So we see that um, the the son goes out and lives recklessly, and once he had once he had spent everything, this famine arises. And he goes and hires himself out to, uh, to the citizens of the country. And he ends up feeding these pigs. And I just can't imagine he gets to the point of, uh, of just longing to be fed with, with pig slop. So he's to the total, complete end of himself. He's spent all that he possibly uh, could have in life from his, from his father. And he just threw it all away in, in reckless living, as it says. And he comes to this final realization when he's hit rock bottom and there's nothing else uh, there for him he says this to himself how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here in hunger and he devises this plan in his head and says I will go to my father and tell him I'll confess that I have sinned before you and that I am in need and my only hope is in you See, the lesson he realized was that um, nothing in this world can satisfy our inherent longing for God, what God supplies for us. God is our only hope, and that's the, that's the lesson that the younger son realized after spending all this inheritance, all that the, the father had given him on the world's pleasures. He realized that the only one that was able to save him was his father couldn't turn to the citizens of, of the country that he was in because they were, weren't even giving him the pig slot. The only option he had was to go to the Father and seek his forgiveness and hope that he would 
hire him as a, as a servant on his land. And so he, he does so. And what we see is, is amazing, and it speaks to the amazing character and grace of God. He goes back to his father, and as he came, he was, he was a long way off, and the father looks out from, from his property and sees his son coming. And the Bible says that he felt compassion. And when he felt compassion, he ran, he embraced his son, and he kissed him. And the son said what he had formed in his heart when he left to go back to his dad. And he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He realized that he had been unwise with all that he had been given. He threw it all away and that it was his fault, that he was at fault with this. And he confessed it to his dad. Instead of receiving some punishment from his dad, instead of, uh, instead of being uh, put where he was hoping to be, which is just as a hired servant for his father's land, his father responds with an amazing, uh, an amazing statement. His father turns to, to his servants that are standing there and says, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. This is a, a huge thing. He is, the son was only hoping to, to be a hired hand in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his father's property, but the father has said, no, you are my son. Despite what you have done, despite the things that you have, the, the way that you have wasted uh, these material things that I've given you, you are still my son and I accept you. He gives him a robe and a ring and reinstates him as a son, not as a hired servant, which is less than what he deserved. He deserved nothing for what he had done. But instead, the father restores him to sonship what a beautiful thing. What a hope for us. He goes on to say something even more amazing. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, unlike us in this time, there, you know, not every meal had a, uh, a protein that was some sort of meat. It was very rare to, uh, to, to kill the fattened calf. The fattened calf is a special calf that was specifically... Uh, specifically raised and fed for, uh, they think actually, the Day of Atonement, when the family would celebrate the Day of Atonement. And so the father is saying, it is time to slay this fattened calf because my son has returned. He understands the importance of the fattened calf, that it's symbolizing the most important thing that we can celebrate all year. And for them, this year, that is the fact that their son has come home. And so they kill the fattened calf, and they celebrate the fact that the one who was dead is now alive. What a, what a beautiful truth for us that, that God is our hope. Even when we waste all that he's given us, even when we squander it in foolishness and, and the stuff of this world, he is our hope. He restores us to sonship. 
See, nothing, as I said, nothing in this world can satisfy our inherent longing for God. And that's the lesson that, that this younger son realized. We blew everything. He realized that he needed his father. And he went to the only person that could help him. And that was his dad. And his dad gave him even more than he ever hoped he could have. And that's how God operates with us as well. When we come to him confessing all that we've done in humility before him saying, Father, I deserve nothing. He restores us to sonship with him. What an amazing truth. But the story doesn't end there. You see there's another son, an, an older son, and um, the older son, when, when the younger son comes in, is, is in the field and he's working, and the celebration is sort of getting kicked off, and, um, and the older son comes back out from the field to the, to the home, and it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, you know, what's, what's going on? And the servant told him, Your brother has come home, and the father, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now his response should have been joy that his son, that his brother had come home, that he was, one, that he was safe, that he made it back. But instead, the, the reaction that this older brother has is one of anger. It says, but he was angry and he refused to go into the celebration. He refused to go celebrate the coming home of this one person, this one uh, brother of his. And the father comes out and, uh, and pleads with him to come in, saying, look, these, uh, it pleads with him to come in, and, and, uh, and his, his son turns to the father and says, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your commands. And you never gave me a, a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. He is jealous over the celebration that is being thrown on his brother's behalf. You know, the, the older son appears to be righteous. He, uh, it, it says that uh, he's telling, he tells his he tells his father that he has served him faithfully and that he's never disobeyed his commands. See, the older son is trusting in his righteousness. He appears to be the righteous older brother. But unfortunately, appearing, having the appearance of righteousness is not, is not righteousness. It's, it's simply another form of rebellion. The older son is just as much a rebel as the younger son because he's seeking his, um, his glory in the things that he's doing, not in his identity in God. And this is the, the exact thing that the father tells him when he, when he shares that he's been doing all these things. The father responds to the son's uh, complaint about his brother by saying, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine, all of it, is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was 
dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, it's not the, the appearance of righteousness that makes us righteous. It's not the appearance of righteousness that, that gives us our position in life. <clears throat> Rather, it's our identity in Christ that makes us righteous. And this is the lesson that, uh, that the father was trying to share with the older son. So we see that uh, God is the God who welcomes in the lost, whether they be uh, a, a rebellious young son or a righteous uh, older son. And the fact is that in each of us, we struggle with both these, I, these uh, uh, paradigms, I guess. Many times we go after uh, the things of this world that can satisfy us. We try and find our, our fulfillment in the world and the things of this world. But none of those things can fulfill our, desi- the, our need for uh, relationship with God. God is our only hope in this life. And in the same way, many times we trust in our actions and our abilities and the things we do, the talents we have, to somehow uh, validate who we are, to somehow uh, give us our standing before the Lord. But the parable of the prodigal son is clear. Our identity is not in those righteous works. They are dirty rags. Our identity is in Christ who makes us righteous and in Christ alone. So we see that, that God is a God who celebrates each one who comes to this understanding that their only hope is in God through Christ Jesus. And the one who gives us our identity is Christ who has saved us from all that we've done and restored us to the Father. So to close, we have to... We have to realize that God has called us to go after the lost as he has gone after the lost. We have to be willing to risk comfort and rejection to find the one, to find the one lost sheep, to find the one lost coin. We have to pay the cost of time and resources and energy to find the one, the one lost coin. We have to celebrate with God over the one because each of us testify to the amazing work that God has done in us. In each of these parables, we see that God is celebrating what is happening. At the end of the the sheep, we see him say, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the same way, in verse 10, we see, Verse 9, we see, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When we see this son come home from his reckless living, we see this beautiful celebration of the return of one individual to the Lord. In the same way that God celebrates over the one, we also should celebrate 
over the one, over each life that comes to repentance in Christ. Because by doing so, we remind ourselves of the great work that He's done in us. We each testify to the amazing work that God has done. We each can identify with both the younger son and the older son. We each have a rebellious heart that chases after stuff of this world to fill the hole inside of us when we know that our only hope is in God. We each trust in our own righteous acts and say, these good deeds will get me to heaven. But it's not in deeds, it's only in Christ that we have sonship in the Lord, that we have our identity. God gave us hope when we were hopeless and identity when we had none. So we must be willing to go after the lost as God has gone after the lost. Whether there be one or whether there be 99, we have to give all of our effort to those who are lost to bring them in to the, to the good news of Christ Jesus. And finally, we, we have to welcome them. We have to welcome them in the Lord to celebrate the things that the Lord is doing. He's doing great things in this place As we close, we're going to move into a time of prayer. And we're going to just spend some time praying for our our needs individually as we do each week. And praying for our city that the Lord would be chasing after hearts in this place. Lord God, we thank you for all that you're doing all that you've done in us, all that you will do here. Lord, we thank you that even if you have 99 safe, you will go after the one that is lost. Even if you have 9 out of, the t- nine out of 10 of the coins, you'll go after the one that is lost. Give us the same resolve. Give us the same compassion. Lord, give us wisdom in our lives. Help us to see the risks and know that they're worth it. Help us to see the cost and know that it's worth it too. Lord, we pray that we would be able to welcome in many and celebrate the things that you're doing in this place. Lord, you are God. You alone are our hope. And in you alone, we find our identity. We thank you for all these things. In Christ's name, amen.